Welcome to Revenue Harvest, a podcast about the fundamentals of sales leadership. Did you know most sales teams don't hit their sales targets and you can't afford to miss yours? This podcast will give you the answer to questions that will help you lead your team better, consistently exceed your sales targets, and make the most of your career. I'm your host, Nigel Green, and the whole idea behind these conversations is to learn from people who can make you a better sales leader. Let's get started. This is probably my favorite episode of season one of The Revenue Harvest. This is uh, an episode you don't want to miss. Get the chance to connect with Michael Bertram. He's a Nashville legend. He's a healthcare legend. He spent his time working and building businesses as a CEO, strategist, entrepreneur, educator, and an executive coach. He currently serves as an executive partner with Shore Capital Partners. Uh, that's a healthcare investment fund here in Nashville and in Chicago. Throughout his career, Michael has scaled and sold three, that's right, three healthcare companies. He's also the founding president and CEO of the Nashville Entrepreneur Center. In addition to his work in the healthcare industry, Bertram teaches innovation and launching new ventures at the Owen Graduate School of Management at Vanderbilt University. Michael serves as the co-chair of the National Advisory Council on Innovation and Entrepreneurship for the U.S. Secretary of Commerce. He did that from 2014 through 2016. That's a big post, people. Michael is also a strategic advisor and board member to a variety of healthcare organizations and investment funds. This is uh, really special. Michael is a friend and a mentor of mine, so to get down, uh, get the chance to sit down with him uh, and talk shop is... Um, is quite special. In this episode, we're going to talk about common missteps executives make in sales planning. Michael leads all strategic planning for every single portfolio company uh, in Shores, uh, under Shores management. So, I mean, we're talking tens, 20, tens and twenties of companies every year he's doing, you know, I would say 20 to 30, maybe even 50 of these strategic planning sessions. And we talk about why sales uh, is often neglected or uh, overstated. We talk about very specific missteps that sales leaders make in the sales planning. Uh, we talk about missteps sales leaders make in managing executive expectations and board expectations. We talk about how planning is not just an event and how it's more of an iterative process. We talk about what successful planning is, what it isn't, don't tune out. If, if you're listening to this and you're a rep or a manager and, and you're thinking, well, I don't have to deal with the board. Well, wouldn't it be great if one day you had a chance uh, to deal with the board? That means that you're probably a shareholder in your company. It means it's uh, you've got elevated status with your executive team and they trust you. Uh, I tell you, it, if you're not yet engaging with the board, it's something that you should aspire to do. It's a great way to really manage expectations so that you can be more successful as a sales leader. I think you're really going to love this conversation with my good friend. Let's get after it. Michael Bertram. Michael, thanks for joining me. How are you today? Good, Nigel. Good to be with you, Ben. Well, it's always good to catch up with you. So, um, you know, you get the pleasure of being the very first guest on this show. And the reason why I wanted to start with you, uh, very similar to the way the book starts, I think that planning is essential. In fact, it's survival. My first introduction to the stakes of planning was when I read Jim Collins' work, Great by Choice. And in that book, he 
references two professional adventurers, 1911. They both wanted to be the first adventure team to reach the South Pole. And they basically had the same training, left on the same date, went the same distance, but for one team, they returned back on the exact date that they said they would. And for the other team, uh, the end result was that everyone perished and uh, it was very unsuccessful. And I know you've read that story, but for me, that was the first real uh, understanding of the stakes of planning. And you do that better than anyone else. And, and so the, what Colin said in the book is that essentially for businesses, planning is survival. And I'm wondering, is it that simple from your perspective for, for businesses that those that plan make it, those that don't, don't make it? I think in the broadest sense, the answer would be yes. Um, but it's important to have an operating definition of what planning is. It's not we get away once a year in a conference room, fill out a lot of post-it notes, write things on the wall, call it a strategic plan, and that's what we do for 12 months. Um, planning is an iterative process where you are gathering market intelligence. Um, you are bringing that intelligence back to the company. And as the market slowly evolves and moves, you know how to work contingency plans and update your plan as you go. I mean, I would imagine in Jim Collins' example, if we studied the team who had success, um, it's that they had an overall plan when they began, but they were watching all the signals coming from uh, the environment, and they had contingencies already set to go that they could adjust week to week if they needed to for success. And I think that's what planning is like for companies who do it well, is they have an overall plan and they are adjusting as the market slowly shifts. What are the elements from, you know, from someone that plans professionally? I mean, you do this for the portfolio of companies that you have at Shore. What are the effective elements of planning? So uh, one of the key elements is understanding uh, the customer sentiment and how it slowly shifts over time. Um, you know, planning for a business, for sales especially, is all relationship-driven, and those relationships are not with buildings and desks. They're with people. And as people are exposed to new technologies, new messages in the market, different ways of doing things, they're their view of what they want and how they define success slowly shifts. It's not so much an overnight glacial shift, but it's, it's moving slowly. Um, and if you do not take into account how customer sentiment shifts over time, what worked a year ago won't work today, or maybe even six months ago won't work today. Um, sometimes like a pandemic that we're in now, it shifts even faster than that. Another key element of planning is knowing how does your product or service uh, really get at the heart of the, the pain or the frustration the customer feels. Uh, quite often, we get into a war of features about what our thing does versus what someone else's does. <clears throat> and ultimately, it leads to our peril because the customer under, underneath just has a basic problem they want solved. And when you lose context of the basic problem, all your best laid plans are for naught. And so keeping your eye on that is really important. Um, 
So those, to me, is where the two I start with, customer sentiment and is your solution that you believe you have really at the center of where the customer's frustration or pain resides. So with those two principles, from your experience, what role should the sales leader play in shaping the answers to those questions? And from your perspective, how often is the sales leader included in those elements of strategic planning? And, and where, where can it go well and where does it go wrong? So the for many companies that are growing, the sales leader and the sales team are the primary voice of the customer that the business will hear. Uh, that being the case, if they're not bringing back messages to the company that are heard or if their messages are ignored or the messages get misinterpreted, the company lose sight of what prospective customers and active customers even want. So the messages the sales team brings back of both successes and uh, when they miss and they don't get a, a, a closed opportunity, both messages are really important. Um, those messages shape and should inform the planning process. So not having that party at the table during a particularly in a strategic planning exercise um, creates an enormous gap of knowledge for the company because then you're relying on the other parties around the table who have hearsay information about a customer, but likely no direct face-to-face -face interaction. Um, and it's scary to build a whole strategic plan off of hearsay with no actual data. You know, data is, comes in two types. Um, one type we get is from data sources where we find publications or data sets that let us know that. That's secondary source data. The most important data we get in planning is called primary source data, and it's what is the voice of the customer we just heard because it's unfiltered by our editor or a writer. It's right out of their mouth and likely contains all the raw material we need for a really good plan. But companies struggle sometimes to get primary source data right from their customer, and they don't have a good mechanism to put the salesperson who is just with the customer or prospect at the table. So what is a good mechanism for primary source data? Uh, I find the best is customer conversations when I'm not trying to sell. Um, you know, I love that section of your book where you talk about um, the, the planting and investing phase of selling um, where you're building relationship. Um, part of the most powerful relationship building is knowing what the customer is focusing their time on, where the angst is, what's working and not working for them, uh, how their competitive landscape is shifting. All of those things give us insights to future sales opportunities. Um, so I find uh, conversations with clients when I am not trying to sell anything, but just checking in on how it's going, what's the next thing on their list, where their frustrations are with their own competition, um, what they're trying to achieve that, that are challenges is the best source of primary data I could get. So if you need that data, and when you say 
you're wanting to have those conversations. I know it's from the perspective of an investor, someone on the board. Is that it's that executive function perspective of I want to have conversations with my customer where I'm not selling them anything. How do you do that in a way uh, that doesn't alarm them or doesn't alarm your sales leader or team? Like what what are the steps, the sequential steps that a leader needs to take to engage with the marketplace and the customer without sending off alarm bells? I think the best way is to be straight up to say we are uh, working in a planning phase. Uh, your feedback matters a lot to us. Uh, we're delighted you're an existing customer, uh, but we want to ensure that we're providing value for years to come. And I'd love to have a few minutes of your time to talk to you about what's going well for you, how's your competitive landscape shifting, how you see the market shifting, so that, and I'll be brief and keep it to 15 or 20 minutes, and I'll use this data to inform our strategic planning so we continue to add value to you. That doesn't alarm any customer, and in fact, it typically delights them that you bothered to ask what they would see as, as their future issues, and it lets them know we're trying to think about your future market and how we can be helpful to you with solutions that continue to be meaningful. Here's a, here's a way to think about it that, uh, Nigel, that your, your audience might resonate with. Um, there's, um, if, you, if you set sail for north um, and you're one or two or three degrees off, over time you get further and further away from north. And in six months, if you were sailing every day, you're so far away from north, you would never get there, you know? Um, well, a company trying to grow strategically is setting sail for north, and the north is the voice of the customer. But the customer experiences and expectations shift one or two degrees every month or so. And if you don't have that voice coming in with clarity for strategic planning reasons, Within six or nine months, you think what you're doing is exactly what the customer wanted, but they've been shifting one or two degrees away from what your trajectory has been. And now six months later, you're 10 to 20 degrees away from what would be a real successful win for your customer when someone else is likely there talking to them about what is more meaningful than what you have to offer. Oh, that's so good. So... Uh, a guy that I love to read, his name is Andy Zoltners, and he teaches at Kellogg uh, at Northwestern. And he surveyed 2,400 executives that missed their plan, their strategic plan. 84% of the 2,400 cited poor sales team performance. Mm. 13% were, were the ones that cited shifts in sentiment or, to your point, the, the one degree off North being, nor you know, where North is, this is where the customer is, and, and we're just missing it one degree month over month. So how do you know when you have a good sales team and when you don't have a good sales team and whether or not missing true North is a function of sales team performance versus shifting external marketplace sentiment? Uh, therein lies the million-dollar question, Nigel. Um so I will tell you to preface this, I'm not surprised that 84% said it was the sales team's fault. Um, and that is because 
the easy thing to do is shoot the messenger. <laughs> and I see companies do it all the time, and even in our portfolios. Um, I find that if that's the first thing I hear, I, I'm extremely skeptical as a board member that that executive is really even dialed into what's going on. Um, the I think if you really want to know if you've got a good sales team, you've got to be informed. And and there are two and three ways that we are informed. And one is, do we have any sort of uh, metrics that we use to know how our sales process is moving? Are we following the process we had or not? And, and, and so performance around process is one of those things that gives us insight. It's not the only answer, but it gives us some insight. We may have a good process that's not being followed. We may be following the process exactly, but it's a flawed process. So both of those things can be illuminating. The second is the messages we're getting back from customers of, you know, if a sales team misses a plan, uh, you know, the, the instant question is always why. And there's usually many reasons why, not a reason why. And getting at that is really important. Um, and you need to get all of those views up uh, on the wall to look at and better understand, is it our message or is it our product or is it our approach? And it could be any of those three that create a plan miss, and that's different than the process. Um, it has to do with the 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 overall messaging you're taking to the customer, uh, and 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 buried in those are the emotions of things like trust and relationship building that have to happen, um, and and I think that is a different kind of insight to know why are we missing our plan or why did we miss our plan. Um, I think the final way is if you lose a customer or lose a big opportunity, um, the most powerful thing a company can do is call the prospect or the customer and ask without any sort of uh, ego in this, what did we miss and what could we have done to have earned your business, if anything, and what advice do you have for us as a company? That takes enormous humility, uh, but every time I've ever done it in any role, whether I was in biz dev or the CEO or on the board, I learn things I, that are different than I thought I knew. And I, I get better clarity to the situation. And I think it's a combination of all those things to know uh, where and why you missed a plan. But to, to carte blanche say, well, we just don't have the right sales person is rarely the answer. So... Oh, this is so good. So you're on the board level. One of the portfolio companies has missed the plan for a few months. You're largely checking in with the executive team on a monthly board call. Maybe the sales leader is in this meeting or not. And I want to talk about that. So do you think from your perspective, it? I know there's power dynamics, there's all these things at play, when and how frequently should the sales leader be in front of you? How often do you want to hear from the sales leader uh, with the CEO in the room, just access to them? I want to get a sense for how much you want to just go straight to the market and hear the voice of the customer from the sales leader versus hearing it filtered through the executive team. 
so uh, my ideal situation is at each quarterly board meeting, the head of sales is providing their own update to the board. Now it's all now, when their own update. Is that it's like the, the, everybody's in the room, but they're responsible for putting the, the content together. Maybe they run it by the management team beforehand. Probably should, but they're yes. they're leading it. They're presenting it themselves, standing up in front of the room. That's right. That's the best scenario, um, and, and it creates um, it creates a a dynamic that's really important. One. Um, if, if, if the board of directors and the executive team are getting to interact with this, the leader of sales every quarter, whether we're doing great or we're missing our plan, um, the dynamic is no longer let's blame the messenger or the salesperson must not be right. We're actually starting to have conversations about where are we missing our market? Where is our message off? What about our product is not resonating with the customer? Because if the salesperson... Uh, or the sales leader is the correct fit, um, their number one driver is more sales. I mean, that's just the way they're – people who are successful in this role are historically successful. They're driven to close a deal. Uh, they don't just love to go get on airplanes and sleep in hotel rooms. I mean, they actually love to close deals. And, and they're pretty good to tell you where they think – things are off. Now, they may not have the way to fix it, but they'll tell you where they're off. And so I like hearing from the salesperson at a quarterly board meeting. And if you start that cadence early on in the company, um, then even if there is a quarter or two you miss, it's not like some punishment you're going to be at the board. You've just always been there. Um, and the conversations are very fruitful. Um, so that would be ideal. If, 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 if a company has not been doing that, and they're missing sales, I would probably have an opportunity to meet with a sales team, maybe not even just the leader, but some of the team before a board meeting um, for an hour or two to say, I really want to understand because we want to provide as a board the resources and tools needed for success. Tell us what's happening and what's working and what's resonating and what's not so we can have a fruitful discussion at the board about it. That would be a second alternative, but far less powerful than the first of having them in the meeting. So let's talk about, you know, we're, we're, we're having a conversation about strategic planning. Typically, you know, everyone has a budget season. They do a one, a three-year, and a five-year plan, and then that one-year plan shapes next year's budget, right? I mean, we got to roll up a budget to, to get approved by the equity sponsor. Typically, we start that in September, October. Best case scenario, it's done before the end of the year, but the reality is it tends to bleed into the next selling year. Uh, so what, what do you see going wrong with companies that do the planning, do the budgeting for the next year, without consulting the sales leader? What, what's at stake when we do that? Uh, you, you destroy the next layer down beyond the goal, and that is what are the tactics that are going to be used to succeed at the goal? Um, you know, if, if I have a sales goal for the company and the sales leader is not involved, um, I run such enormous risk that the wrong tactics are used for execution. Um, because each sales goal, particularly a stretch goal, may require different resources. Uh, if I'm selling a new product that 
uh, or we are bringing a new product to market, uh, that may require a different set of resources uh, and time. So when, when a company is setting its strategic plan, there's typically, I mean, ideally what you'd have is three to five big goals for the company for the year. And certainly one of those is around growth. But that growth goal is probably has four to seven subparts. And each of those subparts have all kind of tactics and initiatives that have to go with it and some sort of measures that have to be fit and materials it needs and resources and so on. When a company does strategic planning without the sales leader um, present, what I find happens is the big headliner gets written and maybe most of the next level down of the, the five or six key subparts of the big goal. But the particulars of how we want to go about this isn't, uh, isn't really well defined. And so it becomes um, everybody's best guess of what we're going to do. And if the salesperson or sales leader is struggling to execute it, then everybody starts talking about, well, what we should have had to do this was this. But you're now three months postmortem into it instead of starting off with a plan that's resourced appropriately. I mean, if, if I'm wanting to grow sales two or three times beyond my historical organic growth rate, I have to put more resources in it. Putting the same amount of, of gas in the engine and thinking I'm going to go three times further is just insanity. That doesn't happen. So, but that practice happens all the time. And we were chatting before we hit the record button that I said a lot of the folks that I work with, and certainly the case for your portfolio companies, if they fail, it's not because of a lack of resources. It's because of a lack of resourcefulness. There's, yeah. There are very few exceptions. I walk in on a consulting assignment. The sales team is missing its number. And I talk to the sales leader and I say, let's see the plan for the year. And I look at it and it's this you know, hockey stick growth. And I said, why did you approve this? And she looks at me and said, why do you think I had a chance to approve it? So I'm wondering, do you... Do you got? Do you have a a mechanism in place that uh, that says before we approve this budget, like did the sales leader endorse this? Like, how do you make sure that it's actually going to fly? Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. I will tell you as a board member how I think about it, which would be different than um, you know someone who is at the executive level. As a board member, I tend to think about the sales pipeline or sales funnel. And over the years, I've just learned, you know, X number of prospects leads to somebody moving toward the middle of the sales funnel. And then X number percent of those will likely move toward the end and you'll lose some at the end. And, and it's, it's has to do with how you're resourcing things moving through a process with you. And so my first question when I see a hockey stick growth is, wow, that's really different than years past and past performance what are we doing differently this year to achieve that? And typically, I, you know, if I get blank stares back, I know, wow, we, we don't really have a, a plan that is going to likely succeed. Let's revisit this plan. Um, so I think it has to do with understanding resources needed. Um, and, and you're right. Most of the time, the resources are there. They just probably they need to be redeployed in a different way. What when you when you go into a new company, whether it's in the diligence phase or maybe you get brought in post uh, acquisition and, and 
appointed to help grow the business. What are you looking for from the sales leader in the first 30, 60, 90 days post, you know, fresh start, post investment, post acquisition? What are you wanting to hear from them? So, uh, you know, when I first meet them, I just want them to tell me the story of what's working and what would help the organization grow beyond its current growth rate. Where are the limitations, either in process or resources or people or story or, or whatever it may be? And I, I try to keep it as minimally, uh, my question as short as possible and give them the chance to talk. And that conversation is usually quite enlightening to what is possible out there. And then I usually ask the question, you know, who do you most compete against that you lose a deal to and why do you think you might lose? And that informs something else. And from that conversation, you know, I think as a board member, I'm better prepared to help think about how we want to grow for the first quarter or two. Um, you know, I am one step removed from the executive team, so my job is is not to be constantly interfering, but to ask good questions. And by asking good questions, hopefully people come to better answers for themselves. And so I, I tend to the first 90 to 180 days, try to ask really good questions. Um, and it, it begins from, you know, what is on deck for next week for our, our prospecting? which customers that we've been prospecting are moving closer and what's the work going there, uh, who's close to close and what are the objections keeping them from closing, um, who are we implementing now and how are we ensure it's going well. And, and just by asking questions, typically I get a beautiful crystal clear picture of what is or isn't happening and I can pretty much surmise as a board member what level of success we're going to be in six or eight weeks away because there's – um, it's kind of like in the same way you watch the stock market, you probably have leading indicators and lagging indicators. And I try to ask questions that give me the leading indicator insight to what likely this is going to look like in 30, 60 days. Let's, let's talk about uh, the question that if I'm a sales leader and I'm listening to this and I've been in this place before, we, we've got a board, we've got, um, we have board meetings. I see them come into the office every quarter. I know who they are. I know how helpful they could be to me and my career, but I don't get access to them. I don't get to go to the board meeting. If I do, it's like I get asked the night before to do put together a deck that somebody else on the executive team is going to present. Uh, give me some advice. Uh, speak to the sales leaders that want more access to the board aren't getting it because of whatever reason between there's a, there's some block between them and the board on the management team that keeps them from having access. How do they have that conversation with the executive team about participating at a higher level in the business? So um, I'll tell you the way our process works. We typically have uh, a dinner before the board meeting the night before the board meeting typically runs like 8 or 8.30 to noon, and there's usually lunch after, and then people split. I find if if it's not practical for the person to be in the board meeting, either including them and seating them next to a couple of board members at the dinner before or at the lunch after, can be extremely helpful um, in 
fostering conversations that help the company grow. Because, you know, I, I'm, I'm of the belief we're all aligned and we all want the company to grow and we all want success. And the more conversation we can have, the better. And, and quite often board members, you know, many of us have been in an industry 20 or 30 years. We've made every classic mistake you can make. And sometimes we succeeded in spite of ourselves, but our scar tissue has taught us a lot. Um, and hearing a conversation from a salesperson, I can assimilate 20 years of history in my head and within 15 or 20 minutes offer a piece of insight that may take them a year in their journey to figure out just based where they are in their career. Um, and again, never telling them what to do because it's not my job as a board member, but offering insights that's, you know, in my experience when I was there and I made this choice, this is what happened and, be, and watch out for that. That can be extremely valuable. So whether it's actually done at the board meeting or whether it's done before or after or in between, I just think it's imperative that a sales leader have an opportunity to interact with the company's advisors who are helping guide the overall strategic direction of the company because um, without revenue, there is no strategic growth and the drivers of revenue, last I checked, are the folks leading sales. Wow, that's good. I got two more scenarios that, that are common that I think I'd love to get your perspective on. One is uh, how do I handle it when a board member reaches out to me directly and uh, didn't copy you know, the, anybody on the management team, just sent me a question? How do I handle that? Uh, I think you handle it with grace. You respond, you copy your CEO and say, you know, we're always delighted to speak to our board members. I'd be happy uh, to set a time with you. Uh, I'm copying in our CEO in case they'd like to be part of our call, and uh, let's set a time. And just, just keep that, it that, that straightforward. Yes, because, I mean, if a board member reaches out, you're not going to say no. Gosh, I hope not. Uh, that raises 100 alarm bells in the uh, board member's mind. You know, what's happening here you don't want me to know. Um, and you know, the, and I don't think anyone on the sales team would intentionally go around their CEO and not be inclusive. Um, but sometimes CEOs can just be a bottleneck because they got so many things going on and it's by no ill intent. They just have no bandwidth today to do something that needs to be done that could help the sales team. And it may be four days before they can get to something. And that's every day that you're sub-optimized as a company is lost revenue opportunity. So why wait four days if you can get something happening now and, and, and be transparent about it and get good notes and share with everybody? Um, I mean, if I had a salesperson, if I were the CEO and I didn't think my sales leader could carry a, a, a thoughtful conversation with a board member, I shouldn't have them a sales leader because they're going out every day and talking to something even more important, the customer, you know? Yeah, I think sometimes it's so much, it's about, it's fear of losing control of the narrative, so to speak, that I, I think uh, stands in the way of candor. Yeah, but I will tell you, once you lose control of the narrative with your customer, you are virtually guaranteed to lose control of the narrative with your board. Mm. So then let's go last scenario, the other end of the spectrum. I've never been in front of the board before. Uh, but yet, uh, and I really haven't been trained on it, but my management team said, you're coming to the next uh, quarter's board meeting and you're going to talk about your plan to hit our targets for the for the year. 
and it's the first board meeting, uh, you're new, or maybe, you know, maybe you're not new to the business, but you're new to this exercise. Think to some of the sales leaders that you've seen in that boardroom. What advice do you give uh, someone that's listening that is faced with this and or anticipates this is going to be in their future and, and they're uneasy about how to approach it? So step one, look at previous board decks and materials of how sales has been talked about. So you have context of what you are going into. And has this been historically, you know, a 15-minute conversation or a 30-minute conversation or somewhere in between? So just know historical context of what the board has expected historically and what's there. Uh, second is uh, prepare. Um, for every 15 minutes you're going to be talking, you probably need to prepare 45 to an hour. Um, uh just like you would if you were going to see a, a serious sales prospect, you wouldn't walk in cold and not prepared for the meeting. Um, get with your CEO and know a little history on each board member, which ones have done sales before, who cares about sales the most, uh, what key messages have been there. Uh, even walk through the how you want to message to the board through slides or whatever you're going to do with a PowerPoint. Um, and then when you're there, don't use all the time just to talk. Um, if you get a total of 20 minutes, try to keep your talking to 10 and let 10 minutes of Q&A happen. You'll learn more as a sales leader in the 10 minutes of Q&A than the knowledge you'll impart in the 10 minutes. Um, because if the board reacts positively and they feel the experience was valuable and they learn new insights about the company, you'll get invited back again and again and again and again and again. Um, but insights are rarely gained when we're sitting listening to somebody go through their story. We, we typically, insights are gained when we're doing Q&A. What, what about this? So uh, sales leaders and salespeople are very determined, very competitive when at all costs. How do I temper that uh, and manage your expectations well and not uh, in, in the moment be pressured to commit to hitting a target that I, I don't really know if I'm going to hit or not? Like, I know you've seen that before. What, what's your wisdom on over-promising and under-delivering? Um, it, it's, it's a curse, so don't do it. Um, you know, if, if, if anyone who asks you on the spot for a projection for the quarter without – some thought and logic and data going into it um, is a pretty naive player to be even asking the question. Don't be equally naive to answer it immediately. There's no rationale that you have to. I mean, simply just take the high roads as, you know, I appreciate the question. There's so many factors goes into a successful sales quarter. Uh, let our team have a day or so to work on that and we'll have you an answer at the end of the week. And I just buy myself some time because um, as a sales leader, you alone do not have the power to hit any number, no matter what the number is. If you don't have the, the uh, strength behind you of the operations of the company executing for the customer or whoever's onboarding or account management or the CEO support around messaging or even how you may need to fashion this contract with a CFO or legal you can't hit a number. Uh, it's, it's the entire team that makes a company hit its sales target. And, uh, you know, and I would say 
is a cautionary to your sales leaders who might listen to your podcast. Don't try to always be Superman or Superwoman. Um, understand you are part of the team and you're given the privilege to be the message messenger of the company. But it only works when the entire company is working as a team to hit its quarterly number. And uh, if you take all the credit for the sale, you have to also take all the credit for the miss. And neither are ever really true. Mm. You know, you said something about the sales leaders that listen. Uh, there are a lot of executives that listen to this podcast. And earlier you said if if you can't put your sales leader in front of the board, you may have a problem. And I know that there are people that are listening to this and say, I, I couldn't put my sales leader in front of the board. What would you say to that? Um, well, I typically, if, if I were in their shoes or I was their coach or advisor, I'd say, can you coach them within six months that you could have them in front of the board? And the answer is no. I would say, what on earth is happening when they're in front of your customers? If you cannot get comfortable, this person can carry a conversation with a board member and not create problems for you as a leader. Why would you have them out there talking to customers who are going to buy your product and you're going to make contractual commitments to as a company to deliver things to? And they're out there making promises for the company. How is it that's working and you can't put them in front of a board? You know, maybe it's that they don't understand all the strategic nuances of the company. So be it. They don't have to be there for the whole meeting. They come in for their part and leave. Um, but it's it's not that complicated. So to me, it's it's as simple as you either coach them up so that they can, or you may have the wrong person in the role and uh, you need a different person in the role. Um, but I, I, it's usually not the person. It's just more control than anything, as I've always found. Yeah. So we've talked about uh, strategic planning for the longer term, one, three, five years. Uh, we've talked about budgeting for a year. We've talked about sales leaders interacting with the board. What, what did we not talk about that we should today that um, maybe you want to share with anyone that's listening? So I would say never forget the first hundred days. So, you know, everything can go perfectly. The sales leader and their team can get a, a new client and everybody celebrates and we get off and getting started. First impressions matter a lot. So from the minute that looks like it's closing all the way through the first hundred days, everything that happens that's a pleasant surprise for the new customer it's above and beyond what they even expected, further endears them that they made the right decision and there's no second guessing what have I done. Every time something goes wrong or something's late or it's mislabeled or not quite right, there's this gnawing, hmm, not so sure I made the right decision. Um, so I would say, you know, don't have the sales leader disengage immediately have an overlap phase and make sure that team that's onboarding and taking care of that client in the first hundred days understands how critically important it is um, so that the new customer never feels any remorse for the decision they made right away. And if you do the first hundred days well, chances are you will do the whole relationship well because you'll understand exactly what the customer's expectations were. Um, 
And sometimes customers have expectations that weren't promised by anyone. And the best way to avoid those conflicts is keeping the sales leader on that particular engagement engaged through that onboarding and through that first 100 days to make absolutely sure that we're delivering exactly what was promised and the customer's happy. Mm. Michael, that's so good. So if, if someone's listening, wants to hear more from you or read more of your stuff, just get in touch. What's the best way for them to do that? Uh, probably the best way. Uh, I post blogs and they can contact me through my personal website at michaelbertram.com. Um, I'm pretty much all over LinkedIn, so I'm easy to find there and uh, happy to interact with anyone. And you, you offer coaching, correct? I do. For C-Suite, I do. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about that. Uh, I, I mostly do it for investor-backed businesses that uh, uh, the uh, private equity fund wants the company to grow. They love the management team, but the management team may not have scaled or certain members of the management team may never have scaled a company at the speed it needs to scale. Uh, and so I coach uh, how an individual can grow at the same speed the company's going to grow. Um, you know, I my early mentor, uh, when I took my very first capital in private equity, said to me, this company will grow. The question is, will you grow faster than the company professionally? Because if you do not, you get replaced. And your job is to grow faster than the company professionally. And my job as your mentor is to try to help you grow faster than the company. But you own that growth path, not me. And, uh, and it's always stayed with me. And when companies grow, quite often they, they have to trade out members of management who just simply not grown at the same rate the company was growing professionally. And that's what I do is I help members of the senior team ensure that they are their personal and professional individual growth is outpacing the growth rate of the company. So they uh, have value to bring every time the company passes another major financial milestone of growth. Wow. You know, I've had a coach all my life from uh, growing up playing sports through college football, and I still have a number of coaches I work with now. And, and I think the coaching uh, conversation is probably uh, at a little bit of a fever pitch right now, given the the last dance series that came out on ESPN and everybody's getting romantic about, uh, you know, Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen and Phil Jackson. And uh, the, the truth is that that's true for all of us, whether we're an elite athlete or an executive or a sales leader, if you can't grow at a rate that's faster than the rate, the business or the team is growing you will be replaced. And I mean, there's never been more need for a coach. So if it's not Michael, if it's not someone else, if you don't have a coach, uh, it's just a matter of time before uh, the job outgrows you. So take that as a cautionary tale as we close. And if you don't have a coach, you probably should find one really soon. Michael, thanks for, uh, thanks for joining me today. It's been a heck of a pleasure. I thoroughly enjoyed it. And before we close, I, I just want to thank you for, uh, being a mentor to me and coaching me um, and for all of you that listen, Michael's a very modest man, but he is, uh, he has left an indelible mark on Nashville and healthcare. And I'm very grateful to call you a friend. Thank you, sir. Likewise. All right. That's going to do it. Music from this episode is from my good buddy, Justin Adams. You can listen to Justin's music and Spotify or Apple music. Thank you, Justin, for the music, and thank you for checking out another episode 
of the revenue harvest.